Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Neil. If I haven't met you, that's now the second time I've said that at Red Church. Um, As I said in the first service, I've always wanted to say that. Well, not always, but, you know, for quite a while, at least anyway. My name's Neil. Uh, It's a great pleasure to be able to share with you today. Uh, Susan, over here, wave Susan. If you haven't met Susan, she's like the better half, I suppose. (laughs) She's awesome. 30 years. We're coming up to 30 years married at the end of this year. So, yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, Susan and I have loved being a part of Red Church over the last seven years. Uh, we, uh, we started out out at the uh, Kilsyth, um, Montrose and Kilsyth um, uh, service, and, uh, and, and we've loved being uh, in here over the last few years. Well, in here at home. Yeah, from home. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, it's also a great privilege to serve on the board, uh, our board, our church board. Uh, we have a great board. Uh, with wise and discerning people who love Jesus, they are passionate about their discipleship of Jesus and the ministry and mission of our church. And like we do with our ministry team, like I hope we all do with our ministry team, we pray for them. Um, Can I encourage you to be praying for uh, us as a board as well? Because it's such an important uh, part of uh, what what uh, goes on in the life of our church, particularly around governance and and uh, and and seeking God for uh, for um, confirmation around direction. So um, yeah, so really encourage you to do that. Um, as uh, Mark did, let me uh, also give a, a shout out to all the dads in the house. If you're a dad, put your hand up. Yeah, there's a few of us. There's a few more in the first service, but a uh, few of us here. It's good. It's good to be a dad, isn't it? It's great to be a dad. I love being a dad. It's one of the great joys of my life that I get to be hopefully a good dad uh, to Aiden and Haley, my two awesome kids, Aiden and Haley. Hardly kids anymore. They're 27 and 25. I know, I know. I don't look like I've got a 27 year old son, you know, and he's got this massive beard. I can't grow. Oh, I can grow. Well, I don't. I don't ever grow a beard. But uh, he, uh, he and Haley are just—they're just awesome. I love them heaps. Um, so, um, yeah, looking forward to a great afternoon with them. Um, but I also want to recognise that, as uh, Mark and Trudy did, that this uh, day, as a day where dads are celebrated and remembered, is not always a happy day. Uh, for some, it can be pretty tough. For some, it can be a day that is sooner uh, skipped than lived and experienced. For others, it has conflicting emotions, and that's kind of the... the the ballpark that I'm in, um, uh, full of good memories, uh, but also mixed with a deep sense of uh, grief and loss. And as I said, this is kind of my experience. So um, I want to introduce to you my two dads. Here they are. Don't they look like happy fellas? These are, these are my two dads. The one, can you pick which one is my biological dad? Anyone guess that weren't here in the first service? The one on the, that side, yes, yes. See the double chin, the bushy eyebrows, we're all very distinctive, us Merediths. So that's Dad Marrow, or Dad Meredith as we would call him, because we had to explain this weird relationship 
this thing growing up. And uh, so Dad Meredith and Dad Robbo, Dad Marrow, Dad Robbo, um, my stepdad. From about the age I was eight, uh, Dad Robbo came, eight or nine, Dad Robbo came into our, our lives. Awesome, awesome bloke. Um, yeah, so um, these two guys, do they look like they like each other? <laughs> they, they, they really liked each other. This was at my Bucks night, actually, so just a little over 30 years ago. And, uh, and they, they genuinely had love and affection for each other. And it was a great way to grow up, although some, it was, you know, there was pain and, and there was disappointment in all of that, but they never made it difficult because uh, they got on so well. Um, it's been about 10 years now uh, since they passed away within a little over uh, a year, a little over a year of each other. And I would have to say it was probably one of the most lowest seasons of my life, particularly after Dad Meredith passed away. Dad Robbo passed first. He died of cancer. It was a long lead-up, three or four-year lead-up. We were ready for it. Dad Meredith, he, he died suddenly. I was visiting him in Canada. He lived in Canada. Um, and, um, and we were skiing, and he fell over, hit his head, got a little brain bleed, and uh, we didn't know at the time. And 24 hours later, he died in my arms. And um, it wasn't what I expected, it wasn't what any of us expected, but I thank God that I was there um, to, to be with him at that last time and to be with my stepmom, who is an awesome, awesome person, um, and we love her heaps. Um, but as I said, um, I, you know, that was a really difficult time, really low time, and I'd faced low times before, but never anything like that. And I've faced them since, but never anything like that. I really went into a, what I called a, a funk, you know what I mean by that? A, 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 like I just went into this deep sense of grief that I struggled to get out of. And, you know, I've been involved in ministry um, within Churches of Christ in, in, around Australia um, for 34 years. Um, and I've helped people sort of work through their grief. Um, but I found myself stuck. And I, all that training and all that experience, I had, I had, no, I had no idea how to help myself, uh, how, how to get out of this. During this time, a dear friend of mine reached out uh, to offer her support. Uh, Bron is a uh, spiritual director. Uh, we'd served on the ministry team together at One Community Church just up the road here for a number of years. And with the support of my amazing wife, who is gifted in intercession, um, and her prayer on my behalf, I started meeting with Bron over the course of about 12 months and she helped me to begin a process of healing. It was during these sessions that Bron reminded me about lament, the discipline of Lent, the expression of lament. Now, I'd learnt about lament when I was at Bible college. I'd read about lament in the Scriptures. The Scriptures is full of lament uh, particularly the Psalms, and there's a whole book on it. What's it called? Lamentations. Um, so it's, you know, it's there, and I'd learnt about it, and I'd even preached on it before, but it was kind of a bit all head knowledge because I'd never experienced the kind of lows that I was experiencing at that time, the sort of a depth of emotions. So Bron helped me establish a healthy rhythm of lament as a way of finding, with God's help, a way out of the funk that I had found myself in 
that, that, and this grief that I was stuck in. So what does this look like for me? So for me, my healthy rhythm of lament is a yearly season. Uh, for me, it is 24 days. Now, um, that, there's no r- rule about this. There's nothing in the scriptures about 24 days. It could be three days. It could be uh, a week. It could be two weeks. It could be whatever it needs to be for you. For me, it's, it's actually more about the, the dates that bookend those 24 days. So the first day is the 18th of August. That's, the, that's my biological dad, Dad Meredith's birthday. Um, so obviously 24th of August, if it goes for 24 days, I'm in my season of lament now. And, uh, and I look forward to this time and I, I actually enjoy this time. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute as to why. Um, and then it picks up Father's Day, obviously, and then tomorrow is my stepdad's birthday. And then on the 10th of September is the anniversary of my stepdad, Dad Robbo's uh, passing when he, when he died. So, um, so that, that's why it is like that for me. And uh, as I said, I look forward to it. So let me clarify something here. It's not like I enter back into, into the funk. I don't enter back into the, the deep sense of grief and loss and get stuck there, you know, for 24 days. I, I, don't, I don't do... It's not what it's about. In fact, it's actually the point of, of um, establishing a healthy rhythm of lament in our lives is so that when, um, through the rest of that season, the rest of our life or that year... Um, when we're not in that season and a memory comes or uh, we, something happens or, you know, we're not dragged back into that um, because we've got this contained and consistent season where we engage with the emotions, where we engage with the, the feelings and the memories because that's actually what it's about for me. It's about re-engaging intentionally with the memories of my two dads, you know, the, the lessons that they that they taught me. They taught me how, you know, they really modelled for me how to, be, how to be a man. They weren't Christians, so they didn't teach me how to be a man of God. I learnt that from other spiritual fathers, um, and I've had lots of those over, over my life, and I'm very thankful for, for those men in my life. Um, but they taught me, they taught me how, to, how to be a good man, and, uh, and they taught me some lessons that I didn't want to learn or that I wouldn't, didn't want to pick up. You see, my... my my dad, Robbo, my biological dad, um, he was married to Darlene in, in Canada. That was his fourth marriage. Um, he, 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 he couldn't get that part of his life right. Well, I don't want anything to do with that, you know. <laughs> do you see? I don't know. No, we're, we're good, babe. We're good. Um, yeah. So, um, so it's about a healthy rhythm of lament that is contained and consistent and allows us to live into, to, to lean into and live into the flourishing that is God's heart for me, that is God's heart for us, to have life and to have it to the full. You know, I wonder, I wonder whether this is what we all need in one way, shape or form. As we start to come out the other side of what these last few years have been for us. The difficult times that we've been in. This time, obviously, COVID, but then the result of that, all the, all the things that have been happening in our world and how that's kind of having an impact on us. I believe we are all grieving 
in some way after what we've been through. We're all grieving in different ways and for different reasons. Some of it is shared experience, others for different reasons, a myriad of reasons. Some of us have even gone into a funk and can't seem to find our way out of it. Last year, I listened to a podcast by Andy Stanley. You may have heard from him. He's an American uh, church leader, large church in North Carolina. Um, He interviewed the writer Adam Grant on an article that he'd written in the New York Times called, There's a Name for the Blah You're Feeling. Yeah, the word blah, it's not really a real word, I don't think, but it's a great word because it kind of captures it. There's a name for the blah that you're feeling. It's called languishing. Man, that idea, when I heard that podcast, that just captured my attention. I downloaded the article straight away, read through the article a couple of times. I think I flicked it to Mark, um, and, uh, and I think I flicked it to Mark again this last couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, and I read it, and then I'd heard on the podcast that, that Adam had a, um, had a book called Think Again. So I ordered the book on Amazon, and it came, and I was so excited about it coming because I wanted to learn more about languishing and um, this idea. And, um, and so I started reading through the book and then I realised as I got through the book that there was nothing about languishing in the book, uh, but that's okay, it was a great book um, and I went through it a bit too quick so I need to go back and read through it a bit more, um, a, a bit slower. Um, and so this idea of languishing has been popping for me lately again as well as it has been for Mark in some of the conversations that we've been having together about us, not Mark, just Mark and I, but us as a church, as a people of God seeking to follow Jesus in and through these times that we're living in. Talking about how we're going as a church, how our following is going, our discipleship of Jesus as we try to figure out a way through this. In a very real sense, we need to move on from all that has happened over the last few years. But not moving on in the sense of forgetting. There are too many lessons to be learned. And and this is my little segue here, my little digress that I did in the first service. I hadn't thought of it before, but we don't do grief very well in our society, in Western culture. Particularly, well, I know we can only talk about, well, I can only talk about Australian, Australian society. We, 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 we go through a, a grief, you know, we have grief happen, we have pain, loss happen, and we, 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 we lean into it for a little while, and then we go to a funeral, and we go to a wake, and we, you know, do what we need to do, and then we, we try to get out of it and try to put it aside quickly. But, you know, some of my friends over in, over in, uh, over in Africa, they do... They do their grief for months, you know, and it's something that they engage with every day. We don't do it well. We need to do it better because there are too many lessons that we've learned over the last few years, experiences that have shaped us and reshaped us that we don't want to forget. Even rhythms that we set up while we were in lockdown that maybe we've let go and maybe the opposite, like we're lamenting the fact that we've let go of some some rhythms. You see, we're not the same 
as we were before COVID hit us. But we do need to move on out of our languishing and into wholeness and health and the flourishing future that God has for us. And one of the ways to do this is to learn to lament in the way that has been modelled for us in, in the Psalms. But before we take a look at the psalm that I've chosen for us to um, chosen for us this morning, I want to show you something. Can anyone? Do you know what this is? This is my sleeping bag. It's not just my sleeping bag. This is my lightweight hiking sleeping bag. 650 plus loft. Does anyone know what that means? It's all the good stuff that's in there to keep you warm, but it's not too heavy. Um, Britt knows what it is. It's a good, it's a good loft, isn't it? It's a good loft. Um, so this is, I'm a bit of an avid hiker, as Britt is. I'd like to do a lot more uh, than what I do. Susan's not really into it. She likes, you know, a good hotel at the end of a day's walk um, or a coffee shop along the way, but I like a little bit more wilderness. Um, I've got a couple of trips lined up. In about three weeks, I'm going to Perth to do some work and uh, there's a group of guys that I go hiking with and we're doing a practice hike because you've got to practice hiking um, and it's uh, a good excuse. And we're doing the Stirling Ranges, which I never did when we lived over there um, for a number of years. Uh, but really, the practice is for a two-week, it's an epic journey, it's going to be an epic journey, two weeks in the southern uh, wilderness of Tasmania. And this thing here is going to be very helpful to me. So let me ask you, I could talk about that for ages, but another time. Um, let me ask you, have you ever considered how our lives, especially our emotional lives, are, lives are, are a lot like a sleeping bag? when they're all tucked away like this. You probably haven't, but I have, because, you know, I think about these things. Um, they're all tucked away. They're all neat and nice and neat and contained and in their place. And it's actually really good for putting in your backpack. This thing compresses even further if I pull down on these straps, but it's too hard, you know, for my illustration. Um, uh, all zipped up, so to speak. As we consider this morning what lament looks like, and what it means to engage in a healthy lament, and what this means for our emerging out of our languishing and into the flourishing lives that God has for us, I wonder whether we need to take some time to open up the sleeping bag of our lives, of our emotional lives, and be real with each other, and most importantly, be real with God as we lament and grieve what we've been each going through. You see, when this is all zipped up, this is actually not much good for what it's fit for purpose for, what it's, what it's useful for, and that is to keep you warm. It's actually good zipped up when you put it in your backpack, but it needs to be out of its stuff sack, let loose, so to speak, to fulfil its potential. It's got great potential. And taken out. And spread out like that and if I unzipped that and got into it at night, I, no matter really how cold it was, this thing here uh, is, going to keep me, is going to keep me tasty warm. Um, so that's what it's made for. But we keep our emotions, we keep, we keep all the stuff that we've been going through, we have a tendency to keep it all locked up, all zipped up and packed away, stuffed away in its stuff sack. We're maybe a bit scared to bring it out and talk about it, but we actually need to. We need to bring it up, bring it out, bring it up 
and, and be real with each other and with God and, and, and talk through. The people around us are so important. Walter Brueggemann, in looking at the rhythms of life's movements as reflected in the Psalms, speaks of the following progression. Orientation into disorientation through into a new orientation. Oh, I love that. Um, Peter Scazzaro, you, we've heard about him quite a bit. Um, his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, is, is out there on the bookshelf. And um, he puts it this way. Firstly, pay attention to the pain. Secondly, wait in the confusion in between. Thirdly, allow the old to birth the new. So that's that new orientation thing. So we need that. We need the old to birth the new. But we can't do that. We can't get to that. We can't just go straight there. We actually need to wait in the confusing in between. Do you remember the grey zone that Mark has you know, been talking with us about? But before that, we actually need to pay attention to the pain. We actually need to be real with ourselves and real with each other and most importantly, real with God. In other words, life is cruising along just nicely. We're living in the blessing of God. Then something happens that throws us into turmoil. And it seems that our whole world begins to fall apart. We grieve, we feel pain, we feel isolated, abandoned, forgotten, whatever it might be that we're feeling, we lament. But then as we remember God's faithfulness, that God is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow and the day after that and the tomorrow after that, forever, we move through into a new understanding and the blessing of God once again. Brueggemann points out that it is impossible to move through into a new orientation unless we have persevered with the experience and struggle of disorientation, unless we have paid attention to the pain and waited in the confusing, confusing in between. It's with this in mind that I want us to look at Psalm 22 this morning. This psalm is a lament. It's one of the great laments because it's so clear the rhythm or the movement between lament and thanksgiving and trust. Because that's the movement that we need to go on as we move, as we journey through lament into a new understanding, into a new orientation, redemption of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet 
you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. As I said, this psalm, I feel like more than any other, gives us a clear picture of the journey that we are to go on from orientation into disorientation through to this new orientation that God has for us. So let's look at the first movement uh, of lament that David went through. Firstly, God abandons him. This psalm begins with words that are so familiar to many of us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of David's pain and agony, these words came to his lips. Do you recognise them? They are the words that Jesus spoke just before he gave up his spirit to God on the cross. Then David goes on to say, why are you so far from me, from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. It's clear that David really felt abandoned. He really felt like he was stuck, that he was lost. Now, it's important to note that, that this doesn't signal unbelief or that David had lost his faith. Not that at all, in fact. It's just that this was his reality. He was naming his emotions. He was, he was, grabbing, he was grabbing his sleeping bag of emotions and shaking them out before God because he knew that God could handle it. And you know what? God can handle it. That's the beauty of lament as we learn how to do that. He goes on and sings a different tune, his expression of thanksgiving and trust, that he believes in God's power. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. 
You see, David here is remembering, remembering the history of the people of Israel, remembering the people of God. He's remembering that in their history, God never abandoned them. God faithfully came and delivered those who trusted in him. God is a faithful God. David then moves into the second movement of lament. Others loathe him. Even considering God's faithfulness, David still felt abandoned and scorned. He says, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. See, those around David unwittingly, probably, reinforce this feeling of being forsaken in David. Isn't that what often happens in our dark nights of the soul? In our agony and in our depression or in our, how we're feeling, our, our, that depth of, of grief, we feel that God is distant, that God is, is far away, that he's left us, that he's turned his face from us. We assume that it's because we're not worth living or, or we're not worth rescuing. Nothing, nothing or nobody can console us. Our friends offer pity, uh, pithy band-aid um, statements like, uh, just give it over to God, it'll be okay. Or, or have faith in me, have faith in God, have, ha- just have faith. Jesus is the answer, it'll be all right. But we still feel abandoned, it doesn't help. But then David moves once more into thanksgiving and trust. He believes in God's purposes for his life. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. David is remembering that he is not unworthy. His birth was not a random happening. And ultimately, we too can't believe that we're an accident or we don't have any purpose. God was so intimately involved in our birth. As David says in Psalm 139, God knit us together in our mother's womb. We are the products of a grand design. God has a purpose, a great purpose for each and every one of us. But we can't live into that purpose if we're stuck, if we're languishing. We need to live into the flourishing that he has for us. And then we come to David's third movement of lament. His life is over. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open, tear their prey open, their mouths wide against me. The bottom line here is that David is feeling surrounded by his enemies and that they are in control. You ever feel like that? Eyes are on the wrong spot. You know, it's like Peter when he stepped out of the boat when Jesus called him. When his eyes were on Jesus, he was fine, but when he put his eyes on his surroundings, we know what happened. He sunk. David goes on and says, I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. 
My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. You know, it's impossible to go past this section without, uh, or it's impossible for me to go past this section without drawing to your attention, our attention, the imagery of the cross that is in this, in this section of the psalm, David's psalm. Remember, it's David's psalm, and he lived a long time before Jesus did, so it's quite prophetic. These words describe death on a cross exactly. After hanging on the cross for six hours, suspended by, uh, by nails uh, in his hands, Jesus' body, would, his body weight would have, would have pulled Jesus' arms out of their sockets. His energy would have been depleted. He would have been gripped by a terrible thirst, so much so that his tongue would have stuck to the roof of his mouth. But then David goes on and says, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Well, firstly, dogs. Dogs was a metaphor often used by the Jews to describe Gentiles. In Jesus' time, Romans. How appropriate that David would say dogs when a squad of Roman soldiers would be standing guard at Jesus' crucifixion. And whatever David meant by his hands and his feet, we see that prophetic voice there as well. His humiliation continued. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. It continues. But once again, he moves into the expression of thanksgiving and trust. He believes in God's ability to deliver. But you, God, Do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. You see, David has reached his low point, probably his lowest point, but still he persists in believing that God is his God. His strength is gone. All of David's strength is gone. He's saying my strength is gone, but God, you are my strength. He calls God his strength. He still believes, despite what's been going on for him, what's surrounding him, that God can be a source of hope and help to people who suffer like he does and will save him somehow. Even in his darkest hour, David's faith will not give in to despair and unbelief. And so the rest of this psalm, Psalm 22, continues in the theme of thanksgiving and trust, that God is indeed a faithful God and that we are to find our hope and our salvation in him as we walk through the dark valleys of grief and abandonment, from orientation into disorientation, into the new orientation that God has for us, this flourishing that he has, his heart is for each and every one of us. You know, it's as if there is a kind of restfulness in finding God faithful and trustworthy. Do you know that? Do you feel that? A restfulness. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And while we might not be quite there yet when we're in the midst of the languishing side of lament, 
at least we can know that there is something to look forward to, something to move into as we remember that God is an everlasting God. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And also as we remember that God is trustworthy. Psalm 89, the heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too. In the assembly of the holy ones, who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. And as we remember that God is steadfast. Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Three wonderful truths to hang on to, no matter what we're going through in our lives, as we move through the disorientation into the new orientation, the flourishing that he has for us. That God is everlasting, that God is trustworthy, that God is steadfast. You know, languishing or lamenting That side of it is a funny thing. When we're in it, it's like we want to get out of it, but either we don't really know how to get out of it or we get a little bit too comfortable and we start to drag our heels because it's kind of nice. But no, it's not, but it kind of is and it's too hard to get out of it anyway. It's like everything in us doesn't want to move out of lament, yet this is not the way it works. We are not meant to stay in lament. This is what the psalmist, this is what David has taught us. We are not meant for languishing. Sure, to lament is good. And as I said, I look forward to my season of laments each year. And we do need to be good at it. But we can't stop there. We can't allow ourselves to get stuck there. We need to look to, to God and his trustworthiness, his His everlasting care for us, his trustworthiness, his steadfast. That's what God wants for us. Not this, but that. We need to move out of disorientation and into a new orientation. He wants us to move through and out of our languishing, our lament, and into a new way of looking at things. To live into the flourishing that is God's heart for each and every one of us as individuals and as a church, to have life and have it to the full. Would you pray with me? Father God, we recognise that we have been um, in the midst of a really difficult season for a number of years now. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of us here in this room, a lot of, us, a lot of people around us who are feeling this blah, this, uh, this sense of languishing, this sense of, um, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to, to move on from this. But God, we know that you don't want us to stay there. So teach us, Lord, from this psalm and from other psalms and from your word, which is scattered through lessons for how to live the way you want us to live. Lord, help us. As we, as we immerse ourselves into you, as we immerse ourselves into, your, ourselves into your word, teach us, we pray, to move 
through the disorientation, to move through the grey zones, that in-between space into the life that you have for us, into the flourishing that is your heart for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.